Okay, we're going to get started. Welcome to this workshop. I'm Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater and your, mo and your speaker presenter. Hi. Okay, that would be the best part of the meeting. So, hi, I'm Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. Thank you. That makes me feel better right now. Okay. Um, before we begin, uh, please join me as we say the serenity prayer. God. The format for this is the big book study. So if you're in uh, sex and relationships and that's what you're looking for, you need to go to a different room. Although we will be talking about sex, won't we? Yes. And um, <laughs> and in the second, there will be some humor, so you can find it here or at the other workshop this afternoon. But the format for this session is as follows. Um, Julie. I'm going to introduce Julie, and she'll introduce herself. Julie and I are going to be co-presenters, uh, I guess, as it is, on the big book today. And we're going to share for about an hour. So if you need to stretch your legs now, you might want to. And then um, we're going to have questions, 20 minutes of questions, 15 to 20 minutes of questions, and 15 to 20, 10 to 15 minutes of open pitches. Um, we're going to have the workshops going to be taped. So we have a uh, speaker release form that when the time does come for you up to come on up, that you please sign it either before or after you speak or we tackle you on the way out. Uh, open field tackles, uh, take you to the ground and make you sign it. Um, and uh, the important part today is the meeting starts on time and that it ends on time. And so our ending is at 3 o'clock today. Um, do you want me to just jump in and do my thing? Okay. Um, this is the first time Julie and I have ever uh, done a, a presentation. I think it may be the first time at a convention in some time that there's been a big book study. So we have been twisting and turning and turning and twisting, and there's some obsessing involved on how to do this. So the one thing that we both came to the conclusion of when we were eating lunch, which was very important because we might starve between now and dinner, is... Uh, that if you get nothing out of this, it's great because we have been in the big book now uh, for at least the past week, studying it, taking notes, tagging, and and you're going to have um, Julie's book looks like it's going to fly away, and um, <laughs> I've done my best on a legal clipboard to have everything you ever want. No, and so it's going to be our hope is that we're going to get something out of it, and that you just join along and follow the bouncing ball. Um, I've been in <laughs> the bouncing book. I've been in Overeaters Anonymous now for uh, a little over 10 and a half years. I came in on October 7th. I had my last binge on October 7th of 1995, and I woke up the next morning after playing with a gun the night before and unloading it and loading it and dry firing it and putting it away, which I think was a prayer. And I woke up and I had breakfast and I had life and I had lunch and I had life. I had dinner, I had life, and I went to bed, and I said, what the hell just happened? And it was my first abstinent day. And the, the gift for me today is that I've been abstinent for the past ten and a half plus years. Uh, I've been coming to meetings. I have a sponsor. I've always had a sponsor. I've always had a home group. And I have a big book that's falling apart because my first sponsor opened that big book with me the, when I came into these rooms. And I was not an alcoholic then. And... Um, <laughs> I didn't think the big book was uh, very well written. It's 
quite sexist. It was below my intelligence level. And I, you know, was needed to rewrite it or change it because I, it was just quite hard to hear about alcohol and drinking and hangovers. And so I went through it and I switched it out to chocolate and Twinkies and donuts and binges and diets and controlled, you know, all of it. And I went through it and I crossed out all the words. And I changed a lot of the he's to they's because I wanted it to be applicable, universal to everybody and friendly. And the archaic language really took me for a ride. And it was hard at first. And then it was easy and then it was hard again because I got smart a little bit in a way. And um, one of the gifts that I've received in this program is that I am uh, I have a, a, approximately a 60-pound weight loss, and the, the clothes that I have in my closet have fit me now for the past eight years. And I don't know how to be more grateful for something on the outside as I am for that. And the difference today on the inside is I can identify my insanity on a regular basis. And as a matter of fact, we were uh, identifying a few at lunch today. Um, not each other's inventory, just self-identification, which comes from working the steps and knowing the big book. Um, I'm going to let Julie introduce herself and tell a little bit of her story, and then we're just going to jump back, jump in. How many of you happen to bring your big book with you today? If you could raise your hand. How many of you? Okay. How many of you have ever been to a big book study? Okay. And how many of you have brought paper to write on? See, this is a good group. All right. Um, Julie. My name is Julie. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I have sweaty palms. Um, I have to tell you that, um, first of all, I'll just qualify briefly. Um, I've been in Overeaters Anonymous now for, I think, about 25 years. Um, I've been currently abstaining. Today is my OA birthday. I turned 21 years abstinent today. Yeah, I know. I forgot that. Um, and, uh, frankly, uh, I know that um, it's not because I'm great, it's because I'm grateful, okay? Uh, it's what this program has done for me, it's what you've done for me as a fellowship, and it's what my higher power has done for me. It's not because I got smart or wonderful or well or figured it out, okay? Uh, I have pictures because my sponsor would skin me alive if I didn't bring them, and they are basically what it used to be like, what happened, and what my vacations are like now. So... Um, I'm going to pass these around, and basically Barbara and I were talking, and our first thought was, you know, to kind of do a sort of Joe and Charlie thing, if you've ever heard those tapes, and I was seeing upstairs, we, they have the tapes, you know, Joe and Charlie, the big book comes alive, and we've decided between the two of us, uh, we're going to put it in a coma by three, and by five, we should be pulling the plug. Um, we were like, yeah, right, you know. We figured, you know, we got a couple of half-wits here, and together we might make a whole brain and that this thing might come off, but we're doubtful. So I'm going to pass my pictures around and uh, say that, oh, yeah, I'm also maintaining a 70-pound weight loss. Uh, one of the little spectacular episodes in my life was that um, I went to an OA retreat and started eating compulsively and gained 100 pounds in less than three months in Overeaters Anonymous because I hadn't worked these steps. And the big book didn't apply to me because it was written for a bunch of drunks. And I hadn't written in I hadn't, I hadn't done the steps. I, my food, my God was a food scale. And um, so I I did what every good compulsive over here does, I, who uh, still has the disease in action. I put on all my weight, plus more. 
And for the next two and a half years, I struggled in this program. And I, tr- I, I read the book, and 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 I went to meetings, and I went to meetings, and I went to meetings. And then, as in all the stories there attest, um, a miracle happened for me, and I haven't had to eat compulsively now. Uh, and I mean that in the form of binging or eating sugar and things like that for the last um, 21 years. Barbara and I, the way we've divvied this up is, um, Barbara is a right brain. She is doing the first 164 pages of the big book. We are doing the first part of that today. And I'm doing the stories in the back. And we figure this will be particularly helpful for anybody, and especially if you're a sponsor and you're going through things with your sponsee. There's nothing better. A friend of mine in another program likes to say, I always love quoting a page in the big book because it makes you sound like such a jerk. He goes, and then he goes, on page 435, <laughs> you know, I love that. So um, without further ado, I'm passing my pictures and Barbara will get started. Happy birthday. Um, and the other reason that Julie's doing the, the stories and I'm doing um, the first 164 pages is that I have yet to get over the resentment that they changed the edition, and that there's a fourth edition. I, I refer still to the fourth edition as the resentment edition. And uh, I'm sure there's more writing to come on that. Um, there's limitations to what we're going to do today. And, you know, we were out back in the corner praying at, to let us just be the, the type and God help you that what comes out of us is, you know, not from us, but through us. Um, so, with that, I want to tell you a little, some things that I have learned about the big book in my travels over the past 10 plus years, and um, that gave, gave me the groundwork for understanding how to use this book, how to feel with this book, and how to be with this book. And it has to start with the pages in the book that I never read with any book that I have ever picked up other than the big book, and it's the one with the letters for pages. I mean, it's just skip that. It, the only people that ever want you to read that are the professors in college who are going to put two questions on the final exam about it, and they're just poo heads. So, um, but it's important to us. And so, if you do have your your book, please open it up to X1. We're going to be reviewing uh, Roman numeral work at third and fourth grade level, and uh, and there's this phrase in there that says the big book is the basic text for us. It, I, it doesn't get said any simpler than that. It's the basic text for us. But there's something to draw from that, and it's something that I heard from my sponsors, and I heard from Joe and Charlie, and, and I mean, from anyone who's walked the path in front of me with the big book, and that is implying that other texts may be used to augment. And I will tell you, this book was written, I believe, in the late 30s. And it was written by, you know, about a hundred folks, and there was some hemming and hawing, and it was divinely inspired and written for hardcore drunks. I have a sponsor now who calls this the big book of Overeaters Anonymous. And if it helps the drunks, good for them. (laughs) And in the early 50s, you know, they had another uh, epiphany going on in in the Mothership program. And, And it was... You know, we need something more. Because i got to tell you, the first from, you know, I, page, all the way to about page 64 or so, it's step one. 
It's all about step one. You may be a compulsive overeater if, and then they just give you all these test questions. Because if you didn't get it in Bill's story, maybe you're going to get it and there's a solution. If you didn't get it there, maybe you're going to get it in the um, we agnostics. So the beginning is all about step one, and it's the foundation. And then if you go to XIII 13, and, and this was in the first edition, it was carried forward, and it said, this book will show, quote, precisely how we have recovered. It's its main purpose. And it's not lecturing you on how to do it. Because how many of you, I just heard a great speaker at the previous uh, session before lunch, tell me what to do. <laughs> Ears just close right up. If we share experience, if we share hope, and we share our strength, we're more apt to listen. And that is just throughout Bill's story. Bill didn't go in, well, he tried knocking on people's heads, but, you know, if we share experience. Because how many times has the doctor told us, you know, you should lose weight. Really? <laughs> you think? You know, but when I sat down at a meeting and I heard people tell me how they stole food from coworkers, how they stole money out of, from people to get to vending machines, I said, oh, they're telling my story. I think I'm going to listen to them. So it says precisely how we have recovered, and it's through the stories that Julie's going to talk about. And then if you go a couple more pages to the XVII, in the second edition they added, Strenuous work. Okay, that's not easy. Strenuous work. Sweat. One alcoholic, one compulsive overeater with another was vital to permanent recovery. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to hear today the word vital used a lot. And um, there's another V word that they use a lot. And, of course, I'm having a complete brain fade right now to tell you. Vital and something else. Hmm? Oh, you will get there. It's it's coming. Um, it's out of my head at the moment. Yes. See, who said that? Give that girl a star. Thank you. She read her big book. Um, vigorous. And that works with strenuous. This book is a living book. It talks about people 70, 80 years ago getting it and telling us how they got it. And it applies to compulsive readers because then we go right to the doctor's opinion which i got to tell you, if you take it and you read it and you mark it and you listen to other people talk about it, it becomes alive. And it says in there, the body of the compulsive overeater, it's an XXIV, the body of a compulsive overeater is quite as abnormal as their mind. I'm not abnormal in my mind. Well, yeah, I am. We were not satisfied we couldn't control our eating just because, and it lists three reasons, which really irritated me the first time I read them, we were maladjusted to life. Full flight from reality. Yeah, thank you. We were outright mental defectives. Okay, this is really helping me want to be part of the group, you know. And it says, maybe, this may be true, but we have come to understand there is a physical factor. An allergy to the food is nothing more than an abnormal reaction to it. Think about that. This allergy to whatever food you have is nothing more than the abnormal reaction to it. One is too many. 142 is not enough. That's how it is for me. I have an abnormal reaction to certain food. And there's a list. 
and one just got added a week and a half ago after a year and a half debate with God. Tortilla chips. (laughs) We're still having morning services. Uh, I look at them longingly at lunch today and ask the lady to take them away. She looked at me as though I was odd, but she did take them away. We work out our solution on a spiritual as well as an altruistic plane. I didn't know what the word altruistic meant until I came to these rooms. Freely working with others, expecting nothing in return, a.k.a. random acts of kindness, a.k.a. not in myself. And it went on to say at XXVI, for those following the bouncing ball, allergic types, moi, can never safely use food. Now, I can eat food, but I cannot safely use food. Having once formed the habit and found I cannot break it, once having lost self-confidence, my reliance upon things human, problems pile up on me and become astonishingly difficult to solve. That's in the book. It tells me what the wreckage and unmanageability of my life is like when I am on self-reliance. We eat because, not because we're hungry, not because we're happy, not because we're sad. It says we eat because we like the effect produced by excess food and certain types of food. It was my solution. It wasn't my problem. It was my lover, my friend. And that's what they told us in this book. And it was the solution until it stopped being the solution. We're still in the letters. I'm getting this straight out of the book, you guys. I don't have to make any of this up. Well, I could. The food no longer works. We keep eating, but it doesn't work. Really. We become restless, irritable, and discontented. Has anyone ever experienced that? How about when you arrived last night at the convention and you didn't know everyone, you knew some people, were you a little restless, irritable, and discontent? Maybe I feel alone, but I want to belong, and I don't. Where's my room? And where do we... That's how I was last night. Thank God someone else put voice to it to me this morning so I could understand that. Thank goodness someone put voice to it. Because I shared. Wasn't it odd last night? I thought it was just me. And then at XXVII... They tell us the hope and the promise. Unless we can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of recovery. An entire psychic change. i got to tell you my way of thinking versus... They're towing cars out of the smart and final parking lot right this very minute. If you are parked in the smart and final parking lot, they are towing your car at this very minute. Move quickly. And that would be God saying we had to meditate for a moment. Okay. Good question. XXVII. Okay, it's in what? XXIX in the fourth, fourth edition and XXVII. We're going to hear about step one right now from 
Julie in some of the stories, and then I'm going to come talk and back and talk about Bill's story. So we're going to go from the front of the book to the back of the book. So follow the bouncing ball. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. So um, <clears throat> this is the edited edition of what I found in the book. I kid you not, for those on tape listening, there are about 150,000 post-its on her big book. Okay. So um, I posted, I not think, the last thing I want to do, and the thing I most want to do, is lecture. <laughs> but I don't want to, because I don't find that helpful when people lecture to me. So I want to apologize up front if it sounds that way to you. Um, oh, yeah, we forgot to mention, and this is important because it involves food. There are breakfast tickets left. Any of you wishing to purchase a breakfast, and we've been assured it's a hot, hot buffet breakfast, really, uh, be sure and take those up at the registration table. And there's also a few dinner tickets left. Dinner. Uh, yes, dinner. Um, one of my favorite times of the day. So those tickets are available as well. Um, so what I have is, uh, I'm the stories in the back, and um, the first one I have is from Alcoholics Anonymous number three. Again, this is all from the Resentment Edition, the fourth edition. Um, I was willing to admit to myself that I had hit bottom, that I had gotten hold of something I didn't know how to handle by myself. So after reviewing these things and realizing what food had cost me, and again, sometimes these are going to run into one step flows into another. It says, I went to this higher power that to me was God without any reservation and admitted that I was completely powerless over food and that I was willing to do anything in the world to get rid of the problem. That is in Alcoholics Anonymous number 3 on page 187. And um, I hit this point after the 100-pound weight gain and the inability to stop binging. And I mean when I couldn't stop binging, I mean the only time I wasn't eating was at a meeting. That's the only time I came up for air. I was eating around the clock. And um, so I identify with that. I had gotten hold of something that I didn't know how to handle by myself. And on the next page, same story, 188, it says, when the gentleman approached him, you are a compulsive overeater. And as far as I know, that was the first time I'd ever paid any attention to that word. I'd never heard the word overeaters anonymous until I came to overeaters anonymous. I figured that I was just fat, that was me, and that they said, no, you have a disease, and that it doesn't make any difference how long you do without certain foods or eating behaviors. After that first bite or two, you'll end up just like you are now. That certainly was real disheartening news at the time. When I came to OA, I wanted magic. Tell me the magic. Tell me what I can do to eat anything I want and stay thin. I really did want that, and I didn't get it, and it was disheartening news. It was disheartening news I thought once I got fixed, once I got thin, I never had to come back to these dreary rooms again. And they said, no, we're sorry. It's a daily reprieve. It's a daily reprieve. The next question they asked me was, you can quit for 24 hours, can't you? I said, sure, yeah, anybody can do that for 24 hours. They said, that's what we're talking about, just 24 hours at a time. 
And for me, it got down to one meal at a time, one moment at a time sometimes. When I was trying to get abstinent again, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life without exception. And it was literally sometimes one moment at a time, sometimes spent in the company of my sponsor because I knew if I were alone, I would be eating. The disease for me is that powerful. The next one is from the housewife who ate at home. Page 295. It says, at the time, the admission that I was and am a compulsive overeater meant shame, defeat, and failure to me. But in the light of the new understanding that I have found in OA, I've been able to interpret that defeat and that failure and that shame as seeds of victory. Because it was only through feeling defeat and feeling failure, the inability to cope with my life and with food, that I was able to surrender and accept the fact that I had this disease and that I had to learn to live without compulsive eating. Um, it says in our 12, in the uh, AA 12 and 12 that we use, it says that the first two steps do not require action, but acceptance. The first four chapters in the book are devoted strictly to the whole idea of step one. It's a very important step. And it took me two and a half years of binging and 100-pound weight gain to even get a glimmer of it. And I only got the first half of that, and my life is unmanageable, didn't even penetrate for over a year after that. In on page three twenty four in Student of Life, and this is this is one that just gave me the chills when I read it. It says I picked up a half gallon of ice cream one day after work and ate over two thirds of it in less than four hours. I can do it in less time. Uh, I was so sick the next day but made it to work. When I got home from work, I sat on my parents' sofa, and I knew, I knew I would start working on another half gallon again. Despite the fact that I was still very ill from the night before, I also knew that I did not want to eat. Sitting on that sofa, I realized that the old quote, I could stop if I wanted to, I just don't want to, didn't apply here because I did not want to eat. I wanted my, I watched myself get off that sofa, fix a bowl of ice cream, and when I sat back down on that sofa, I started to cry. My denial was cracked. I believe I hit bottom that night, but I didn't know it then. I just thought I was insane. Now, these are alcoholics talking, but I'm sorry. I can't tell you the amount of times I've said, I'm not going to eat that, and watched myself get up, and go get it anymore, even when I was sick. I used to not read this book because I thought it's written for a bunch of drunks. I'm happy to say I no longer, I, that I see myself in these pages. On Crossing the River of Denial, page uh, 328, it says, Denial is the most cunning, baffling, and powerful part of my disease, the disease of compulsive reading. When I look back now, it's hard to imagine I didn't see a problem with my eating behavior. But instead of seeing the truth, when all the yes, as in that hasn't happened to me yet, started happening, I just kept lowering my standards. <laughs> I remember saying to myself, okay, I'm fat, but I can stand it if I don't get any heavier than this. And then I would get heavier. And I'd say, okay, okay, okay. It's all right to be at this weight if I don't get any heavier than this. And I would go higher. And one day it occurred to me that it's never going to stop. Couple more, Barb. Next time. Okay. Another one. It says, 
The explanation that compulsive overeating is a disease of a twofold nature, an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind, cleared up a number of puzzling questions for me. The allergy we could do nothing about. But it says here, the fact is that one bite will set up a reaction in our system that requires more and the next one is too much and a hundred aren't enough, as Barbara said. And it even says in here, and you know, this is written by an alcoholic, the allergy idea I could understand because I'm allergic to certain pollens. Some of my family are allergic to certain foods. I can tell you without doubt that I am allergic to sugar because... I sat at a party one time, and literally, it was like a dream come true, right? It was a punch bowl size of uh, caramels. And I remember, because I would rather interact with the caramels than you, um, <laughs> casually taking one and eating it. And then after the wrapper pile got about this high, I realized I could no longer leave the, you know, you ball them up, and you know, of course, they make no noise, and hide them. And then by the time I got through, I looked. And the bowl that had been at least level or higher was down to about here. And I, I tried to fluff it a little, you know, so it looked like there was more, but there wasn't. Uh, on page 400, it says in a compulsive reader like you, I told the counselor I was able to keep it to five a day, little or no problem. But she said, if you have to control something, it's out of control. What a bitch. <laughs> Okay, I've got two more, quick. This is from Acceptance Was the Answer. We all know it's, it's Dr. Alcoholic Addict, okay, but they made him change it. They didn't want the word addict in there. Okay, so on page 416, you can no longer quote the book and say 449. 449 is something completely different now. Okay, it helped me a great deal to become convinced that compulsive overeating was a disease. And I read, I'm, I'm talking about this because it helped me. It really did a lot. I can't help a disease. It's like saying, you know, I deliberately got cancer. No, you didn't. Nobody gets this because they want it. Nobody gets it because they're not good or didn't go to church enough or went too much or did the wrong things or did the right things or the household you came from. That's the thing in the stories in the back. I've read all of them, by the way, thanks to this workshop. <laughs> And I, they are a wide variety of backgrounds. People who came from happy homes, people who came from nightmare homes, people of various religions, ages, colors. It didn't matter. Okay? It helped me a great deal to become convinced that compulsive reading was a disease, not a moral issue, that I had been eating as a result of a compulsion, even though I had not been aware of the compulsion at the time and that abstinence was not a matter of willpower. The people of OA had something that looked much better than what I had, but I was afraid to let go of what I had in order to try something new. There was a certain sense of security in the familiar. Until I could accept my compulsive overeating, I could not stay abstinent. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not on so much what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. And last one, or bear with me, last one. One is the one with the most quotes, guys, okay? So it's going to get better after this. But I think this is important. And it says here, 
The OA members who sponsored me told me in the beginning that I would not only find a way to live without having excess food, but that I would find a way to living without wanting it. I'm still waiting for that one. Um, but not. But I'll be honest with you. Um, there's many foods today that I don't want and don't think about. That is on page 549. Thank you. Freedom from bondage. That's the only one I Okay. If I would do these simple things, they said, if you want to know how this program works, the first word of your question is H for honesty, O for open-mindedness, and W for willingness. These are our big, these are big book calls, the essentials of recovery. They suggested that I accept, that I study the AA book and try to take the 12 steps according to the explanation in the book. For it was their opinion that the application of these principles in our daily lives will get us abstinent and keep us abstinent. I believe this, and I believe too that it is equally impossible to practice these principles to the best of our ability a day at a time and still eat compulsively. For I don't think the two things are compatible. So that are all, that be all my quotes on the first step. I know there were a lot of them, but this is an important step. Until I take this step, it says over and over in our literature, it's really hard to work the rest of them unless I take this one. So we spent a little bit of time on it today. Thanks. We're not, we're not quite done with step one because we got Bill's story. Now, you know, Bill, he, he taught us a lot about uh, powerlessness and unmanageability. The disease of compulsive overeating doesn't come in a big pink box or at a buffet, just like alcoholism doesn't come in a bottle. It comes in a person. It's inside us. And that's what Bill's story, that's what he learned. It wasn't anything outside him, that the alcoholism was inside him. And at page five, he talks about excess food ceased to be a luxury. It had become a necessity. And I have a very short little story, and this is after I'm abstinent. As I mentioned, there's been a few foods that have been lovingly removed from my life. And I think it was about five, four or five years ago, um, I was a, um, a gingerbread latte person, and um, I was finding that I was going out of my way. I was late for meetings, and I, the day of my last gingerbread latte, I almost ran someone over in the parking lot to get to the parking space, to get to the food. That drink had no, was no longer a luxury in my life. I had to have it. It was a necessity for me to take the edge off. I mean, that's just such a small, and I don't know if any of you have, well, hopefully you've not almost run over someone in the parking lot, but you have your story of how the food for you or a particular food became a necessity. And Bill talks about that, first paragraph of page five. And gradually things got worse. I thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of dieting which renewed my hope. I was an excellent dieter. I lost 50 pounds on one once, then I put on 75, and then I lost 10, put on 20. I was the flipping stock market, you know. But every time I started losing weight, I'd have hope that maybe this is the time. And it just got worse. And then when we go to page 8, 
Bill described right in the first full paragraph, the bottom. No words can tell us of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Food was my master. I don't know if there's a better way to describe the bottom. We can all come up with one. But that one, that one spoke to me when I read it the first time. I didn't like it, but it spoke to me. And then if you keep going, there's the first step promise just, just below that. They're telling you how bad it is. Bill's telling you how bad. But then he says, here's the hope. Catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence, I was to know happiness, peace, usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. He's writing this after he's been sober for a little bit. And I know that after I got my first sense of, of abstinence and I started losing weight, I had, to, I had a hope that seems more permanent. If I kept going, that was the step of admitting powerlessness, the promise of admitting powerlessness. At page 14, it tells, in, in Bill's story, this is a simple program, but it's not easy. You can be too smart to get this, but you can never be too dumb. If you overthink it, you'll be here in a step one for a while. If you dumb it down for yourself, at least that was my experience. Because advanced degrees aren't going to help me. They aren't. A calorie is a calorie. Too much food is too much food. From Bill's story, and there's so much in there, but we're going to jump right over to Chapter 2 now, where there is a solution. And at page 17 it says, there, and this, here's some more promises. Keep showing up. I'm going to give you a little peek of what's to come, is what this book is telling us. There exists among us a fellowship of friendliness and an understanding that is indescribably wonderful. Where we sit at a meeting, we listen, and we feel at home. How did that happen? Because no one was telling us what to do. Someone else was sharing their pain and what they did to get around it, over it, and through it. When it gets, uh, goes on, it says, we discovered a solution. We absolutely agree. We joined in harmonious action. What is the common word in those three phrases? We. we. The first word of the first step. I didn't admit I was powerless. We admitted we were powerless. And if I can stand with you, if I can stand with you and admit that, then there's hope for me. Because my best thinking got me up over 220 pounds. My best thinking got me almost thrown out of the courtroom that I was appearing in and arrested for contempt of court because I was screaming at the judge. Because, you know, I was right. He happens to wear the black dress and sit up there, and I had to have two of my investigators take me out of the room. My feet weren't touching the floor. That was my best thinking. A little angry. I was a little angry back then. Just a little bit. At page 18, eight things that this disease does to us. See how many of them check off for you. We are misunderstood. Anyone? Yeah? Okay, good. We had fierce resentment. Yeah, anyone? Anyone got a few? Okay. We had financial insecurity. Anyone? Yes, we'll get a few on those. We had friends who were disgusted with us because they were tired of our story. Anyone? 
you want to admit that you had friends? Or, yeah, okay. <laughs> we disappointed and disgusted employers. Yeah. We had warped the lives of our children. We had sad spouses. And we had sad parents and siblings. Does that apply to anyone in here? If it does, you may be a compulsive overeater. If you're still not sure, answer those questions. And then it goes on to page 19. The elimination of compulsive... And here's, here's it's the good news and the bad news. The elimination of compulsive overeating is but the beginning. What? I'm not going to eat the food and there's more? Yeah, steps 4 through 12 are coming. But we're not going to tell you about that yet in the big book because we don't want to scare you away yet. We don't want to scare you away. But it is just the beginning because it's all about the food and it is not about the food. Here's a thought at page 1920. Real tolerance of other shortcomings and viewpoints and a respect for their opinions are attitudes which make us more useful to others. But really not useful to me. You know, I know I don't want to be patient with you and tolerant of your shortcomings. I do not suffer idiots easily. I do not suffer stupidity. I work in a place where I must every day have patience and tolerance. And I have to pray more times a day than I can tell you. And it's because I think I'm quite superior. And I don't like admitting that to you at all. But this tells me what I have to do. At page 20, where I have three stars circled and underlined twice, our very lives depend upon our constant thought of others and how we may help their needs. They're letting us in on step 12. They're letting us in. That's how it's going to work, folks. You can come to a meeting. You can listen. You can sign the sheet. And you can go home and you can read the book. And you can go to a meeting, sign the sheet, listen, maybe talk and go home. But if you sit in a chicken coop, you're not going to become a chicken. It's really just the bottom line. If you're going to sit in a meeting, you're not going to become a recovered compulsive overeater. You're going to have to work with others and be of service. And that's what that tells us. I'm looking for, there's a couple more, step one, and then we'll jump to step two at page 30 in more about alcoholism. Oh, I love this. Okay, here's a story about compulsive overeaters. <clears throat> All right, suffering from the depths of compulsive overeating, clothes not fitting, ripping them out in the thighs, can't really shower that well, walking's a problem. So, someone comes up to you and says, I'm going to let you choose between three things. Total isolation behind door number one. Health problems leading to an early death behind door number two. Or conscious contact with a higher power and live happily, joyous, and free. Door three. If you're anything like this compulsive overeater, your response to that, those choices were, hmm, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. I'm not sure. Because a conscious contact with a higher power can't be graded. It can't be seen by anyone else. It'll get me nothing from you. And that's what I was all about. And that's what made it so hard for me. And then it goes on at page 30. If you're still not convinced you're a compulsive overeater, ask, your, you, ask yourself the Jeff Foxworthy question. You may be a compulsive overeater if. 
Maybe someday you will enjoy and control your eating. Has this thought ever run into your mind after a couple years of absence? Do you ever think you might be able to control it? I could control tortilla chips. I really did. Guacamole? I can't control it. I want to mainline it. I might be a compulsive overeater. And this is my great obsession for the newcomer and the old timer. And this is at page 30. The delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe the illusion has to be smashed. Small, short periods of controlled eating which left followed by pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. Do we know how to do shame or what? We walk around with Louisville sluggers. It's a bat. And you know what? If you're not going to hit me with it, I'll just hit myself with it. That's what we do when we eat poorly. When we say we had a bad food day. As Julie said from the story, it's not a moral issue. It's not a moral issue. It's a disease. I think the last thing I have on step one is that page 34. Moving along and more about alcoholism. And at that point it tells us, this is the baffling feature of compulsive overeating as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the need, the necessity, or the wish. God, is that just amazing? You know, because we've got a bunch of intelligent people in this room. We really do. You can tell. It's the hair color. No, it's, it's, yeah. you're here because you want to live. But we can't or we used to not be able, we used to could and not leave it alone. So step one is all, is all about doing something. And it's changing. It's the beginning of the change. And we've got to get past that we're fixing to commence to begin. we just got to do it. And now we'll go to step two. Uh, well, we've already messed up. There's Nazca basket. <laughs> we forgot to ask someone to pass it around. So um, if you have questions or whatever, um, nasty comments are best left for a 10th step with your sponsor. Um, so here we go. Uh, step two. Step one would be of absolute uselessness to everybody if there were no other steps to go with it. Who needs to know they're doomed? But we have 12 other steps. And uh, most of the book actually... I'm not kidding you. If I were to condense the stories into one big rear-sized version, it would be, it got real bad. A miracle happened. Things are good now because I followed direction. Okay? So here's step two. Uh, this is the only time I'm going to change the wording. Men suffer too. All right. On page 205. It's actually women, but hey. Um, it says, I was a sick person. I was suffering from an actual disease that had a name and symptoms like diabetes or cancer or TB. And a disease was respectable, not a moral stigma. But then I hit a snag. I couldn't stomach and I didn't like the mention of God or any other capital letters. It was an I was an intellectual and I needed an intellectual answer, not an emotional one. I told my doctor so in no uncertain terms. And mind you, this woman is speaking from the nut ward and not her first. I wanted to learn to stand on my own feet and not change one prop for another. <laughs> and an intangible one at that. And then the miracle happened 
to me. I wasn't trapped. I wasn't helpless. I was free. And I didn't have to eat to, quote, show them. Anybody ever eat to show them? I can't tell you the amount of times I've done that. This wasn't religion. This was freedom. Freedom from anger and fear. Freedom to know happiness. Freedom to know love. On. Fortunately, I don't have as many on two. So you're in luck. Here we go. Now, the vicious cycle. I saw for the first time that those who really believed or at least honestly tried to find a power greater than themselves were much more composed and contented than I had ever been. They seemed to have a degree of happiness I had never known. That was uh, my case for me when I came into OA. I really, um, I had a, a terrible time with the whole God thing and the Lord's Prayer at the end and all that stuff. And, uh, but I had to admit, people here were happy and I wasn't. People here were losing weight and I wasn't. And that helped open my mind a little teeny bit. On page 287 of The Missing Link, I knew I was powerless over food and I needed to be open-minded toward what people suggested for recovery. However, when it came to spirituality, I fought it nearly every step of the way. Although raised in an ethnic and religious Jewish household, I was agnostic and very resistant to anyone or anything I perceived to be imposing religious beliefs. To my surprise, Overeers Anonymous suggested something different. The idea that religion and spirituality were not one and the same was a new notion. My sponsor asked that I merely remain open-minded to the possibility that there is a power greater than myself, one of my own understanding. He assured me that no person was going to impose a belief system on me and that it was a personal matter. Reluctantly, I opened my mind to the fact that maybe, just maybe, there was something to the spiritual lifestyle. Slowly but surely, I realized that I, that indeed a higher power greater than myself, and I soon found myself with a full-time God in my life and following a spiritual path that didn't conflict with any of my personal religious convictions. I'm almost done. On page 326, Student of Life, it says, As I spoke, I looked around the room. More importantly, I looked at the faces of the people in the room, and I saw it. I saw the understanding, the empathy, and love. Today, I believe, I saw my higher power for the first time in those faces. That's how I saw my higher power. It was through you people, your understanding, your telling your story, not forcing me to do anything, but encouraging me. And loving me when I felt very unlovable. And accepting me when I was very unacceptable. I didn't bathe much in those days. <laughs> People still sat by me. Um, it says, you can say that doubting God's existence was no, I can say that doubting God's existence was no barrier to a spiritual experience. So if you're having a problem with this issue on step two, don't. Also, I can say that having such an experience didn't lead me to any certainty about God. So you don't have to be certain. Over is Anonymous gives me the freedom to believe and to doubt as much as I need to. So we're not going to call any of you up to the front. Okay. On page 397, it says in the Perpetual Quest, 
I believe that I recovered through the grace of a higher power, despite the fact that I was very angry and wanted nothing to do with God when I arrived at Overeers Anonymous. In fact, I did not need to find God. I only needed an open mind, and the Spirit found me. Sometimes I think we approach this thing like this is a spiritual gold strip. I've got to work the program. Sometimes I can let the program work me. Okay. Last one, I believe. No, sorry. Slide. <laughs> Two more, but they're quick. On page 498, a vision of recovery. One day a member asked me if I believed that there was actually a higher power. I didn't. I did believe there was a God of some sort or another. He told me that was enough. He said that that belief and attending meetings, I would find a higher power of my own understanding. Today I'm thankful for that advice. So it's not, we've got to get this thing right now. It's attend meetings, keep an open mind. That's the stress. That's, that's what we stress here. It says, Away taught me that a willingness to believe was enough for a beginning. My desire to be honest with myself made it necessary for me to realize that my thinking was irrational. Now, let me stop here one quick moment. Um, in certain cultures, eating insects is considered a perfectly viable source of protein. In this culture, it is not always considered that. I had received a piece of chocolate cake, and it was sitting on a counter. And as you know, in summer in California, ants come in, and mine was covered with them. And I began to fall at those suckers, get a piece of cake. So I picked off all that I could, and I froze the rest. I put the whole piece of cake in the freezer. Later, I took it out and ate it. I, I, there was nothing moving, so I'm sure they were dead. And it was chocolate, so who could see them? Um, and I had trouble with the second step. Okay. It says here that I've benefited from dictionary definition I found that reads, Rationalization is giving a socially acceptable reason for socially unacceptable behavior. And socially unacceptable behavior is a form of insanity. Last one. I'm not going to read this. I'm going to recommend it because it would take too long. In the back, there's this little thing called appendices. On 567, it's called a spiritual experience. I'll read the first two sentences. It says, the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating has manifested itself among us in different forms. It goes on to say a whole lot of really good stuff. So if you're troubled with the second step or you're working with someone, I highly recommend reading page 567 in the Resentment Edition, the fourth edition. And uh, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, you're doing good. Hang in there. Uh, about five more minutes here, and then we're going to have um, everyone just, I can tell, wiggling in their seats to want to come up and share, um, an open share, and we're also going to take some questions. So start thinking about who's going to come up and, and do that, and I'm going to have, I'm sorry? <laughs> That's the, the quid pro on that one. Uh, we'll keep talking if you don't. Um, <laughs> painful as that might be. So what is the second step? Came to could restore us to sanity. Came to believe power could restore us to sanity. Well, I'm not insane. That one mustn't apply to me. Thank you. 
Oh, well, okay, Barb, how many people steal from coworkers? Uh, food. Not many. Food. How many people steal from secretaries and make for a third less than you from their stash hidden under their desk that they can't tell anyone was stolen because they might be one of us? How many of us steal from stores, write checks at one store and don't go back there because we know it didn't clear? How many of us close the doors, close the windows, don't answer the phone, and eat in solitude and isolation to the point of pain? Those might be characteristics of insanity. And at page 37, you'll notice right now, here we are, we're moving along in the book, and we still haven't heard about their steps in their formal manner. They're not throwing them at us yet when we first come in. They're telling you stories, giving you a little experience, you know, it's just like fishing. Send it out there. And then you bring them in. Okay, we're not going to tell you about the steps yet. So here we are at page 37. This insane thinking has been the characteristic of every single one of us. There's no loopholes. There's not a loophole in there, folks. That's what the book tells us. The curious mental phenomenon, our sound reasoning, reasoning, insanely trivial, trivial excuse to take the first bite. Insanity trumps reason and logic without a higher power at page 37. And at 39 it says, as with any compulsive overeater, without, with hardly an exception, there would be absolute, they would, will be un, absolutely unable to stop compulsive overeating on the basis of self-knowledge. How many of you know how many calories are in a medium apple? Okay. Oh, there's more of you that know that. How many grams of fat are there in a? And what would it take for exercise? How many, you know, calories do you burn in half an hour if you? We have a lot of self-knowledge, don't we? We could probably be in this room, write our own nutritional textbook. But it did nothing to help us become abstinent from compulsive overeating. Not one thing. Self-knowledge didn't help. And that's what this book keeps telling us. And then there's a warning at page 42, and it says, basically, I called it the third steps of coming. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge would not help in those strange mental blank spots. How did that two-pound seize of candy, box of candy, empty out in my mouth? How'd that happen? You know, why am I drinking this you know, you know what I mean, that blank spot. You remember the story about the guy with the milk and the brandy in the big book, if you've read it? It's in the, there's, a, there's a whole section of squiggly lines in the book about that. And I learned from a, a lady, her name was Willie B. from Spring, Texas. She was giving a little talk. And she, uh, I love that lady, she wore hair piled up about three feet above her head. I know there were things stored in there. And... <laughs> She did say if there are squiggly lines, you're supposed to pay attention to them. So when you see the squiggly lines in the big book, pay attention to them. The compulsive overeater at page 43 at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first fight. Our defense must come from a higher power. Came to believe that higher power. In chapter 4, it's called We Agnostics, right? I called it Problems with the God Thing. <laughs> and there's test questions on page 44. <clears throat> you can answer them out loud if it'll help keep you awake. 
Um, can you, do you find you cannot quit entirely on your own? Or when eating, you have little control over the amount you take? Well, you're probably an alcoholic, it says, or a compulsive overeater. If that's the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Came to believe in that higher power. And the book goes on to say we have to have the spiritual experience. We're doomed to death. This is a page 44. They don't, they don't soften the punches up for us in this book. To be doomed to death or to live on a spiritual basis are not easy alternatives to face. Door number three is looming over here, that spiritual place. You know, isolation and eating, I could probably do that. I don't want that anymore. I got a taste. I got a taste of freedom. I think um, I'll do two more and then we're going. Do we have the questions? We only have you sad people. We're going to keep talking. Um, and uh, I'll tell you what. How about if I do these two things? When we're doing the questions, if the people who want to can come up uh, and line up over here by the steps. Or if you need to leap in a single bound, you can come the other way. At page 45, it tells us what the main objective of the big book is. You know, these are the test points. These are the things that will be on the quiz. Enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. This is the time when the sponsor says to the sponsee, could you write the performance evaluation of your old God? You write the performance evaluation of the old God, and then you read it to your sponsor, and then you write the disciplinary report, and you fire them, and write it. And then you need a new God, and this is saying right here, our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make an approach to higher power and make contact with the higher power. We need to write a job description for God what we need. And that's at page 46. I have a sponsor who did it. I loved it. She wrote daycare experience preferred. You know, 24 hour on call, responsive, kind, gentle with criticism. Did I mention daycare experience required? You know, she wanted someone who was going to treat her the kindness that we treat a child. And she wrote a beautiful job description for her step two. We're offered opportunities to come up with our own definition. Creative intelligence, spirit of the universe, as, as found on page 46. Understanding your higher power. It needs to be roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding. It's in the book. About step two. And then there's a the second step promise. Did you know there was promise for second step? No. There is. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> We needed to ask ourselves but one short question at 47. Do I now believe or am I willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a person can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him, that's the promise, we emphatically assure him that he is on, she is on her way. It has been repeatedly proven, we have evidence, 
It is repeatedly proven among us that among this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. All you need to do in that promise is be willing to believe or say you believe. But I'll be a hypocrite. I'll be a hypocrite. Well, he's been a liar and a cheat and a thief. Being a hypocrite's a step up, you know? (laughs) So, the test questions for the doubter are found on page 52. And they're in the second full paragraph. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change that we found in step one uh, to change our point of view. So here are the questions. Were we having trouble with personal relationships? Everyone everyone had great marriages. Families were intact. Children loved them. That's why we came here. We were on that winning streak. Okay. We couldn't control our emotional natures. A little angry. A little controlling. Oh, anyone ever do the silent treatment? Okay. I'm glad there's some giggles. and not. <laughs> were we prey to misery and depression? We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. I can't think of anything worse than a feeling of uselessness. Were we full of fear? Were we unhappy? We couldn't, could we not seem to be of any help to other people? If any of those are true for you, step two is necessary. Will you believe or will you become willing to believe in a higher power? You pick it. It can be anything. And that's what this book goes on to tell us. It also has a proposed answer. I love it when I don't have to answer it for you. When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon a spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. And I will stop with this and we'll go to the questions. There is something said. The difference between spiritual and religious. Religion is for those that have not been to hell. Spirituality are for those that have been to hell and don't want to go back. And that's what we have is a spiritual program. We're going to answer these questions. If the people could come up that want to, we're going until 3 o'clock today. Our plan is to do step three. There's not a lot in the stories, about four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, a little bit. <laughs> about four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? Okay, and then so we're going to we have more coming in the second half if you dare if you dare to come back at three thirty. So that's the plan. Um, we're going to go to questions now. Oh, please, would you? I have no control issues. All right. Before we end, I want to just end with this one little piece. This is beginning the third step. Okay. And you're leaving it the best part, by the way. Um, this is, this is, <laughs> no. Uh, this is our southern friend, page 215. Uh, some people read the third step prayer in chapter 5, and it's, you know, hands down for me, a great prayer. But um, sometimes it's nice to know there are other third step prayers in the big book. 
This is the one in our Southern Friend, page 215. I believe Lewis mentioned it last night in the opening. He says, um, how does prayer fit in this thing? And he says, well, this is two guys talking in a nut house, okay? Uh, you've probably tried praying like I have. When you've been in a jam, you've said, God, please do this or that. And if it turned out your way, that was the end of it. And if it didn't, you said, well, there isn't any God or he doesn't do anything for me. Is that right? Yes. That isn't the way, the man continued. The thing I do is say, God, or if God is, you know, bothers you that term, use higher power or whatever works for you. Here I am and here are all my troubles. I've met a mess of things and can't do anything about it. You take me and all my troubles and do anything you want with me. When I can get that one out, I know I've taken the third step. I also know my back's to the wall and there's no other choice. But uh, it's a good third step prayer, um, especially when something's really troubling you. Yeah, it worked for this man. He stayed sober since. And it certainly worked for me many times. Um, so uh, I, the question that I picked was, which of these stories took the longest to resonate with you and why? The story I resonate with the least is in the third edition called Indian Officer. And it's about a British gentleman who was stationed in India, never attended a meeting, and I don't know if he had a sponsor and somehow stayed sober on the pamphlets sent from New York. I don't know how that man did it. I really, really don't. But uh, So that's the one I have the hardest time with. Thank you very much. Okay, now's the time for you to come up. Really? I'm going to answer it, but please, someone, please, somebody come up. I'll cry if you want. Um, my question um, is, will be answered after I tell you this. At page 53, it says, God, God either is or isn't. What is your choice to be? Kind of makes it pretty simple. All right, rocking. Um, why do you call the fourth edition the resentment edition? They changed the pages and the stories. 449 is no longer 449. And acceptance is the answer of all my problems. I could, you know, I could just tell the sponsors, go to page 449. Well, you go get it. I'll stand the phone while you get it. Go ahead. I'm waiting. Now I have, to, I don't have it memorized, which makes me have to learn it. I'm no longer an expert, so I'm resentful. I'm joking. I just haven't taken the time to go through the book because I need to. And, you know, there's a thing about becoming an expert. If you become an expert, you stop learning. So apparently I need to lose the resentment. I'm making the confession now. Um, the other question was, if my higher power is something to me, why doesn't he or she stop me from compulsively overeating? Mm, I hold you right here, whoever wrote this. I hold you right here. God will not do for me what I can do for myself. God will support and love me. He will hold me. He will protect me. But I have to do some footwork. If that means I have to call my food in every morning, I'm going to do that at ten and a half years freaking abstinence. If I have to write down my food every night, then I'm going to commit the next morning at ten and a half years abstinence. I'm going to freaking do it because that's my footwork. If I have to go to three to four meetings a week, that's what I'm going to do. 
If I have to bookend a meal with phone calls, this is what I'm going to eat. I'm going to a buffet. I'm going in. One plate. <laughs> going in. I'll call you when I get out. Click. Call him back after Eagle has landed. I had one plate of food. I'm leaving the building. At ten and a half years abstinent, if that's what I've got to do, that's what i got to do. So God will not do for me what I have to do for myself. But God will do for me what I cannot do. Keep rowing. Take your foot off the bottom of the pool and float in the deep end. Extend your hand to another person and ask for help. Whoever wrote this, the first word of the first step is we, not me. And now we're going to go to other people. It's so cool. Be sure and sign the uh, release tape form when you come up to share. Hi, my name is Donna, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, and uh, it, um, it just for the person who just wrote that question, I did that once. I said, "All right, God, keep me from eating this chocolate-covered pretzel," and it jumped out of my hand. I picked it up and ate it anyway. Um, <laughs> and that was 22 years ago. And I thank you, God, that I have not done that since. Um, However, uh, I just uh, I think that, that the big book to me is, is a guide to how to live my life. They are the directions. It's like pull the cord when you jump out of the plane, because if you don't, you go splat. So if you don't follow those directions, I go splat. Uh, but it's also, uh, it is this guide for me. And I'm coming up to the part, and uh, Barb mentioned it, uh, part of it anyway, about the guy who drinks that milk and the brandy thing. Well, you know, the story is he was working for some for a business that he used to own, and now he was out on a sales call. And uh, for three years now, I've uh, lived in Kentucky, which is as close to hell as I want to get. Um, and uh, thank you. <laughs> and it's also eight hours away from any OA meeting. Now I've traveled 2,000 miles to be here today. Um, and that's how important this program and my recovery is. But this story I have owned well, for the three years I've lived in Kentucky, a coffee shop, and, uh, and I love it. I'm going to cry. Um, and I sold it. But I sold it to a woman who's worked for me for this full three years. And now when I go home, I'm going to work for her for a little while. And I just thought to myself as, as I was thinking this process through that this big book now has told me what can happen and what I can do to avoid what can happen. Uh, you know, I can work my steps. I don't have to put that brandy in that milk. You know, I don't have to pick up all of the wonderful goodies that this woman bakes because they're there and because I'm depressed because I don't own this business anymore. You know, I can go in and I can be grateful that this woman is taking a business that I love, making it as good or better than I do. I can go in and I can be grateful that God is with me. I can go in and I can be grateful that I don't have to do what I would have done 22 years ago and destroy myself again, hit myself with the Louis slugger. Um, you know, I don't have to do all those things today. I can go. I can be helpful. I can be grateful. I can be 
the person that I can be the support for this person. I can put someone else before me, and I don't have to put the brandy in the milk today. So I'm really grateful for that. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Judith. I'm a compulsive overeater. Oh, I just put my last name, but that doesn't matter. Um, so first of all, thank you so much. This is absolutely, I think, the, the turning point of the program when we get the big book, and anybody who's willing to interpret it with us is just, you know, for me, miracle workers. And because it is a textbook, and we, you know, we'll be willing to sign up for university to get the text that they've got, but are we willing to sign up with sponsors who are you know, going to interpret? And um, So my thing is to get people talking about the big book very early on, and I tell them, it's going to be the foreword and the preface, and you're going to hate me for asking you to read that piece of the book. But it's absolutely, I think, for me, was I went into a big book study while I was binging during a convention, during being on a committee in a convention, gaining weight, and I went into a big book study, and I heard something that just, it just blew my mind. I was against the big book. I couldn't understand it. It was all sexist. It's all he and God and Christians and and I was raised a Jew, and I'm a woman, and blah, blah, blah. But the thing was, was just the, when, the, when we were having an interpretation of it, it just threw me off that it said that there was recovered, and, and all these words, like there was promises, 160 of them or something bizarre, and there was like 25,000 prayers in there. I didn't know what was in it. I honestly couldn't get it. But that was because I couldn't get anything. I couldn't get step one either. I tried to accept that I had a problem, and I was a bit fat. And I, bizarrely, as my girlfriend told me, that's fucked up, is what she told me. But, um, and she is a chef, and she was like, that is really funky. Um, I was like, I don't know, I don't think it's that funky to eat a whole gateau yourself. But um, anyway, the thing was, was, just, you know, I didn't get that, but when I heard those words about, and I really listened to the interpretation, and then I actually went and designed, said, i got to have a big book study at my house. Whoever wants to come, please come. We're going to listen to these Joe and Charlie tapes, which are just these two alcoholics who interpreted. And um, I just, I suddenly got something new. Like, there are all these promises there, and it just said, follow the text, and you will recover from the insanity of the disease. And that's all I really wanted. Sure, I wanted to be slim. I really did, because I like looking cute. But I just wanted to stop being nuts about thinking about food and spending my whole life running up and down El Camino eating everything when I was supposed to be this very good person and smart and blah, blah, blah. But here's some of the things that got me the first time around, which was when I really got it. I mean, I've been in the program for a while until I really got it. It said that your whole, your whole problem is that you lie to yourself, Judith, and then you act on the lie. So I lie to myself, and this is what the interpretation said. I lie to myself, and I say, I can't possibly be that bad, and maybe just one bite. And then I act on that lie, and then I get guaranteed to bump into the truth. And I thought I could get around it. Like, maybe if I just bump into the lie a few times, and a few pounds, and a few insane days, but then ultimately I would end up at 165 pounds again, and I would hate myself, and the truth would be told. What I came to understand was the truth, actually was that I'd been fighting being fat and insane about food my whole life, so that couldn't possibly be my real, true self. The big book helped me understand I'm supposed to align with the spirit of the universe, to come back to a normal, sane space, 
and accept that I cannot eat like normal people. That is the truth I will always come back to. And by the grace of God, one day at a time, it's happening. 95% of the time, I really don't think about those foods. I still love my breakfast and dinner. <laughs> really love them. And, um, but anyway, my truth is I'm not supposed to be fat and hating myself and drowning inside it. I'm supposed to be aligned with the spirit of the universe and be of some use and good to other people. And the big book for me is just that, that it, it tells you exactly how to do it. So I really, really appreciate you interpreting for us, again, what is just the simple but complex information that we have to get as addicts to turn this thing around. So thank you very much. My name is Ella. I'm a compulsive overeater from Oakland, California. Hi, everybody. Um, hi. Thank you very much. Um, I want to say that the thing that's most important to me about the big book is that it gave me hope. Because when I read it, I read that people I ate like everybody in here drank. And when I read that, it explained to me for the first time what I was doing. Up until that point, I tried every single kind of diet that was available at the time. Unfortunately, some have come out since then that I haven't done. Um, I have to laugh. I always liked it that they used to call it the Scarsdale diet or the South Beach diet or the Palm, you know, the Palm Beach diet. <laughs> I always feel like I was kind of on the Peoria, Illinois diet, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever was possible. Oh, the Beverly Hills diet. Did anybody ever try that? Yes, the, um, all the fruit you can eat. Um, okay. So, but when I read this, it told me I didn't have to go to any more therapy. I didn't have to seek any more spirit, you know, spiritual masters, that I was an addict. And that was a big relief to me, an incredible relief. And then I could read these stories, and I read them over and over again, and it said, you know, I was in the gutter, and I'm not in the gutter. And I've been in this program 24 years, and I have now 10 and a half years of continuous abstinence. So that... Well, you can clap, but what I'm saying is that that makes for, what, 13 or 12? I mean, they made for some heavy-duty eating in this program. And I never put the book down because it really just kept on telling me there was hope. And just a little bit about higher power, and then I'll stop. I had to understand that the higher power was not a fairy godmother, and that was very disappointing because I wanted a higher power that could wave a magic wand over me and something out there that could fix me. But I, I understand now that there's something that has to happen inside of me. And honestly, I can't tell you why ten and a half years ago that was the last time I had to compulsively overeat. I do know that keeping on reading the book and coming to meetings and calling other overeaters and being of service and working all the tools I can, maybe that helped. But we don't have to be alone with the disease. And, and this was the first time I really, really got that. So, you know, people say, well, someone's a big book thumper or a big book Nazi. And I don't like to feel, talk about it that way. I like to say, 
wow, you know, this is a great book. You know, here it is. You know, you don't have to thump it. You just kind of have to open it. Okay. <laughs> okay, thanks. I better write this quickly. Okay, we're going to, um, it's five minutes to three, so we have um, about five more minutes, and Julie is going to uh, talk, give you a few more things from step three in the back of the book, and then we'll uh, hang in, just five more minutes, y'all can do it, you're pretty numb in the butt by now, uh, in the back side. I just wanted to tell you at page 28, it talks about a design for living that really works. Not just stopping the food in the compulsive overeating. I must still live and participate in my life without compulsively overeating. How? And I want to suggest to you that steps one through three is about giving up. Steps four through six is about cleaning up. Steps seven through nine is about making up. And steps 10 through 12 are about growing up. And that's the design for living that we've been given. So, Julie, a couple step three. I'm going to read this one way in the back first because I think it's, I don't know, it's good. Um, This is from page 429, uh, A Window of Opportunity. And I want to thank you guys all. This is a long session. And I know that the head can only take in what the rear end can stand, so we really appreciate you guys hanging in there. Uh, This is, again, Window of Opportunity, page 429. I was angry and I ate. If I was happy, I ate. If I was bored or excited or elated or depressed, I ate. Here was a man telling me, or woman, that independent of my life situation, I did not have to eat compulsively. My sponsor told me that. My sponsor's mean. My sponsor told me, she said, it doesn't matter what goes on in your life. That should not affect what goes in your mouth. And I thought I had lots of good reasons why it should. And she just said, you know, it just doesn't matter. Or <laughs> one of her other favorite ones was, it can go, it's all going in the sewer. It, depend, it, it just doesn't want you, do you want it to go through you first? As in, you know, you know what I mean? Like in my house, our garbage disposal was in pristine condition. I mean, like brand new. We never put anything down it. Ever. I mean, the only thing we threw away in my house was lettuce. That was it. Okay? That went bad. Nothing else did. So it says in here, if I stuck with OA, I could stay abstinent under any and all conditions. He gave me hope and in many ways symbolized that the door through which I finally walked into Overeaters Anonymous, I began to change. I began to pray. I became actively involved in working the steps. I had previously dismissed them as tools of mental inferiors. <laughs> Count me in on that one. Now I embrace them as rungs on the ladder to salvation. I began working with a sponsor and became active in my home group. I did not understand how making coffee or cleaning up after meetings could have anything to do with staying abstinent, but older members told me that service would keep me abstinent, so I tried it, and it worked. Step three is service. Step three is an action step. I need to demonstrate. I can say I've taken the third step, but I need to demonstrate I've taken that third step by taking certain actions. And one of them is 
And service can be something as simple as helping put away chairs. But it's showing up here today was a form of service. We thought there'd be about three people. So um, you've certainly been of service to us. We've learned a lot from you, and we've learned a lot from doing this. And um, from the bottom of my heart, I really do have to thank you for my life, because without all of you, I knew I wouldn't be here. Thank you. Let's circle up and say the, well, appropriately, the third step prayer. If anybody has my pictures, could you bring them up to the front, please? <laughs>